Hi, I'm Kathy Reneses, and you are listening to the Coaching Happiness Podcast, powered by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. Welcome to episode 34 of the Coaching Happiness Podcast. My name is Kathy Reneses, and I'm a life coach, speaker, and founder of Coaching Happiness, a coaching service focused on hard work whose mission is to create a better world one person at a time. This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia, Podmetrics, Centro Holistico, Sunrider Philippines, and Canyon Water PH. Revolutionize your health with water. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am so excited to be talking about what I'm going to be talking about in this episode. This whole work-life balance thing has been such a trigger for me, and I'm sure that I'm not alone in this. I think so many of you can find my frustration relatable because the work-life standard is just ridiculously unattainable for so many of us. And in this episode, we'll go through the history, the various myths, and how to reframe this. Now, I put this episode together because I had been talking to a client about this topic for a few weeks now, and I've seen how this pressure to achieve work-life balance has just stressed him out unnecessarily. And he's just been dealing with so much guilt because he can't split his time down the middle for work, spending time with his family, and pursuing his own interests. So in the pursuit of wanting to live a flourishing life, he's added so many unnecessary rules and boxes that he needs to tick off in order to finally be quote unquote happy. And he thinks that this whole work-life balance thing is the solution. It's also the thing that's been giving him the most stress. So I don't think that's the solution to being happy. So allow me to shed some light on where the term work-life balance comes from. The notion of work-life balance was invented in around the 1970s, but popularized in the 1980s. And it has really been the source of a deep well of human misery. And it is one that just won't tap out. Even a rounded definition of work-life balance, one that acknowledges its roots and good intentions still leaves us with a flawed idea. The main flaw being dishonesty rooted in a bit of misogyny. The discussion begins with demographics. There was this new field of study dubbed work life that came into being with the entry of a larger number of professional women and mothers into the labor market in the U.S. and elsewhere from the 1970s. So right back in the day, 
women were supposed to be the homemakers and it was the men that brought home the bacon until World War II happened. And a lot of women had to fill in for male roles while the men were overseas. And when they came back, having women in the workforce then became normal. So traditionally, work and life outside work had been seen as completely separate worlds and also mainly a male world. Many observers agreed this conception was due a reassessment and researchers began to conduct surveys asking both men and women how they handled the demands of work and family. Now, as is often the case, problems started to arise when a nuanced discussion, in this case, about the realities and interactions between changing work and home lives, was boiled down to this oversimplified three-word slogan. Work-life balance also found one of its earliest and loudest champions in the magazine called Working Mother, set up in 1979. Its annual Working Mother Top 100 became a competitive scramble among the Fortune 500 companies at the time, who, of course, wanted to see their employees named one of the top working mothers after the second run of the list made front page news in the Wall Street Journal. Meanwhile, the idea of balance had been spun a number of different ways. At its most wrongheaded, it was taken as a literal prescription to workers by these Fortune 500 companies to spend the same number of hours at leisure as at work, which is where a lot of people bought into the 888 rule, having eight hours of work, eight hours of free time, and eight hours of sleep. It was also assumed among the so-called enlightened Fortune 500 companies that they were responsible for structuring the lives of their employees outside of normal working hours. And lastly, it was also frequently understood as an exhortation to working women to quote unquote, have it all with an equal measure of private and professional success. What had in fact been created was a new inferiority complex afflicting both men and women. Regardless of how much you were paid, your job title, your professional achievements, uh, the number of children you raised, or, you know, the state of affairs at home, you were left to question whether or not you had struck the right work-life balance. And you know what? Up until today, we've still bought into it. Hook, line, and sinker. But before anything else, have you heard of Podmetrics? 
This is a fantastic platform for brands to collaborate and podcasters like myself to monetize our content. If you have a podcast of your own and want to know how I collaborate with brands, I just use Podmetrics. It's the easiest way to monetize your podcast regardless of its size. And if you're an advertiser who wants to work with me on an episode, hello and yes, please. You can head on over to advertiser.podmetrics.co and just fill out the form. Okay, so now that you've had a better idea of how this term work-life balance originated, how do you feel about it? Does this make you feel less guilty knowing that it was marketed by corporations and not necessarily something out of a clinical psychological study? Is the work-life balance myth now have less power over you because you know that this isn't a situation where you are supposed to win. If you think about it, work-life balance is such a strange aspiration for a fulfilling life, no? Balance is all about stasis. If our lives were ever in balance, Let's say our significant other is happy and in love with us. The kids are taken care of. You have no financial problems. You are thriving at work. Then our overriding thought would probably be to pray that it would stay this perfect forever. This false hope is made even worse by the categories themselves. Work versus life. Diba? It implies that work is bad and life is good. We lose ourselves in work, but we find ourselves in life. We survive work, but live life. And so the challenge, so we are told, is to balance the heaviness of work with the lightness of life. And for anyone whose feet is firmly planted in reality, we know that that is definitely not the case. So let's break down some of the popular work-life balance myths, shall we? Para at least alam naman natin kung ano ba tong pinapasokan nating work-life balance. Okay, so the first and most obvious myth is the belief that it's actually all about balance. This really is the biggest misconception, I think. The hard truth is that the idea of quote-unquote balance that we have in our head doesn't exist because we measure it in terms of time not in the amount of energy we expend. Again, there's that idea of if I spend eight hours at work and two hours in traffic, that means I have four hours left to spend with my family, friends, and all the other life things that I want to do before I go to sleep for another eight hours and have to start my day again. 
No matter how hard you try, there will be times when work bleeds into your personal life and vice versa. Just because you clock out for the day doesn't mean that you're 100% free from work. You may still have to respond to an email or review your schedule for the next day. And nobody knows that better than the people who have transitioned to working from home. And if you own your own business or you have a side hustle, clocking off of work is literally impossible since you will always be thinking about work in some capacity. Myth number two is that life can be compartmentalized. For some of us, that means an even 50-50 split where we spend half of our time at work and the other at home. For others, it's dividing our days into eight, eight, eight hour blocks like the example I mentioned earlier. This long-standing mentality is that we should spend eight hours at work, sleep for another eight, and set aside eight hours for leisure and social activities. But the reality is it's not possible to evenly divide your time like this. There will be days where you put in, I don't know, eight, 10, 12 hours of work. The trade-off being that there will be other days when you only have to work a couple of hours. So instead of forcing yourself to compartmentalize your life, maybe devote the right amount of time on your current priorities. For example, if you're approaching a deadline, then yes, you may need to put in longer hours. And yeah, you may miss out on quality time with your family and friends at that moment. However, When you do meet that deadline, maybe you can celebrate with a vacation and that's when you make up the quality time, right? That's just how life is. It's crazy to assume that we can just compartmentalize and just shut the other parts of our life out while we concentrate on work and vice versa when we simply concentrate on life. Number three is the myth that you can have it all. Remember, this myth is rooted in a marketing tactic in the 80s aimed at women who want to quote unquote have it all. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that if it works for you. But if it makes you feel guilty, like my client, because he can't have it all, without feeling depleted, depressed, and frustrated, then maybe you should start seeing it for what it is, a tactic. Even if you have created a schedule that allows you to exercise, spend time with your inner circle, and get all of your work done, you're still making a sacrifice somewhere. For example, if I want to grow my business, That could mean that I would have to travel frequently, whether it's to check in on my remote team or because I've been invited to speak at a conference or open a new office, for example. I will be out of town and unable to spend it with my loved ones. That's just a fact. 
don't fall for the trap that you can have it all or doing everything you want. The reality is that sometimes you have to give certain things up while we put our energy towards pursuing our goals and dreams. And there is no problem scheduling family time as well as letting work sit on your desk for a few days because as of the moment, that's the goal. There really needs to be a trade-off somewhere and believing that, you know, like you can't let all the balls drop or you have to keep all the balls in the air. It's really not all or nothing at the end of the day. It really is about where you want to focus your energy on. Number four is the myth that time management is the answer. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for time management. But at the same time, if you think about it, time management is an outdated concept now that we're living in the digital era. Most of the time management techniques that we put on a pedestal were created before we were connected 24-7 with a million distractions happening on the laptops that we work on. You know, somebody shoots you an email that needs attending to. There is an impromptu Zoom meeting happening because of an issue that sprang up at work. Uh, the Viber group you're a part of for the family reunion wants to know what your suggestion is for the theme of your annual get together or your kid is calling, asking what's for dinner. The list goes on and I wish I could completely unplug to free me of distractions or unwind, but the reality is we can't go completely off the grid and all these mini distractions, they add up. To counter this, you have to be selective with how you spend your time. This means spending your energy on the right actions at the right time. So while there are some apps that you can silence or put on do not disturb, that helps immensely. Personally, I find my phone distracting, which is why I prefer writing tasks and appointments down on paper. Most of my reminders are on silent or turned off which lets me focus on the task at hand. And I already know what my upcoming appointments are because it's written out and open on my desk. I use the Franklin Planner method when planning out my day, and I have my list of tasks and to-dos in place with a maximum of three urgent things that I need to get done in the day and enough time on my schedule to allow for distractions. I used to want to see my planner packed with stuff to do on the daily, but honestly, that just exhausted me and I felt beholden <laughs> to my planner. So now I'm just more mindful of the balance that I create with work. I like to schedule all my life stuff after my morning routine. So watering the plants, any cleaning at home that needs to get done, etc., which leaves me to take care of work tasks after lunch when my brain finally, you know, decides to cooperate. And I shut off work tasks after 8 p.m. 
for dinner. I give myself time to unwind and I try to then head to bed before 11. Before I learned how to structure my day, I was working as soon as I'd have my cup of coffee up until dinner where I take a break to eat and then I'd get right back on it. It wasn't living and the quality of life that I got because of all these so-called sacrifices I put in just wasn't worth it. Aanhin mo yung magagandang bagay sa paligid mo kung ikaw mismo miserable ka. And lastly, speaking of miserable, <laughs> is the myth of the 5 a.m. club. Oh my God. The idea behind this is that if you're up bright and early, you have more time to get things done. And as a result, you'll have more time to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But reality check, that doesn't work for everyone. Some people are more productive at night, like me. I also know lots of friends who hopped on the 5 a.m. bandwagon, who, yeah, they were up at 5, but they were back in bed by 9 a.m. because they were just exhausted from being up all morning. <laughs> also, whether you realize it or not, you're adding more work hours to your day. That's not terrible when there's a deadline or a fire to put out, but that's not good for the long term because you're going to burn yourself out. The key really is to work around your productive peaks. So if you're more alert and focused at around 10 o'clock in the morning, then maybe it may not be beneficial to set your alarm at 5, you know? Stop torturing yourself. So, sige, after hearing all this, let's say you also agree that yes, work-life balance is a lie. And you parrot something you read online, like how we have to switch from thinking work-life balance, which in our heads forces us to think splitting our lives 50-50, to work-life integration. The explanation is that integration is needed because it's not about separating the compartments of your life, but rather thinking of them in terms of the whole. For example, while you're playing with your kids in the garden, you can also have a quick business call. If you have errands to run for work, um, you can ask a friend who wants to tag along and fill up your social calendar that way. While, yeah, sure, it might work for a lot of people, this doesn't work for me because I need boundaries. <laughs> I cherish my boundaries. I am super strict with my boundaries. In fact, I have a podcast episode just that talks all about personal boundaries. I tried the integration idea and you know what? I don't need to integrate work into the other areas of my life. My whole issue is that we're already too heavy on the work side and don't have enough of the life side. Another option 
is to take the Jeff Bezos approach of work-life harmony. He prefers the word harmony to balance because for him, balance tends to imply a strict trade-off. So this belief is that if you're happy outside of work, then you'll be more productive and energized in the workplace. And if you're fulfilled with work, then you're more content at home. Maganda naman pakinggan, di ba? But honestly, this sounds like someone is trying to gaslight me. Like, in order for my relationships to work, it should be easy and sweet and harmonious when the reality is that so much of us are struggling with this. So why should we fool ourselves into thinking that we are, if we're happy in one end of the spectrum, we'd be happy on the other end when working so much is literally killing so many people? You just need to look at the statistics of office workers in Japan to know that this is true. So no, I don't think work-life harmony is for me. So what term do I use? I guess you're asking. Well, I would still go with work-life balance. Labuno. <laughs> Wait, here, here's the thing. Being in balance is one of the great lessons in this life. So hear me out. I am not denying that life is complex and we have multiple responsibilities that can't go ignored for so long and that most of the time we have a lot of balls up in the air. But the sooner that we embrace this dance of work-life balance, the easier things will feel. And life is a dance. We're all about balancing our energies and shifting, pivoting, learning new dance moves along the way. What I'm trying to say is this work-life balance that I'm talking about isn't a set of rules that you impose on yourself that should work for all eternity, but that it's a mindset. It's a work-life balance mindset. So here are my arguments to embrace the work-life balance mindset. First off, balance is a verb. I mean, Sure, it can be a noun and an adjective too, but in this conversation, balance is an active verb. It's something you need to do, not something you'll magically or naturally have. The second mindset shift is to realize and recognize that balance is a skill. When we were babies, learning to walk, we fell over a hundred times before finding our feet 
and being confident in walking. Walking wasn't something we were inherently good at. It's something we had to practice, like any other skill in life. The same is true with balancing work with the rest of your life. It's not going to come naturally in this capitalistic, hustle-focused society we currently have, but you can practice and build muscle memory that makes it easier. And the third mindset shift is learning to adjust your center of gravity. Going back to my example of a baby trying to walk, babies had to figure out when to put their weight on their back foot while stepping with the right and when to ground themselves with the right before taking a step with their left foot. Shifting their center of gravity was something we had to learn how to do, and it took time and practice. Eventually, after learning to walk, they took that skill and learned to run, and then maybe even learned how to dance. (laughs) The same is true for our work-life balance. Using myself as an example, I've been working on taking my health journey and my coaching practice seriously since 2018. So both have been a big priority for me, and I've gotten a lot better at balancing those two particular things. But balancing them well with additional responsibilities like my digital marketing business, my distribution business, my blog, my friendships and relationships, or simply keeping up with the housekeeping in this little studio that I live in, I'm not very good at yet. I still need more practice. Going back to the baby example, it's like I've now gotten the hang of running So now I want to work on learning how to dance. So I think with these three simple mindset shifts, the idea of work-life balance starts to feel a lot more possible. It's not 50-50 or about having it all or having to do with compartmentalizing your life, or being more efficient with time management, or joining the 5am club. It's about dancing along with life and finding your balance there. Take a moment and see what's taking up so much of your energy and ask yourself if you're okay with that. If you aren't, then shift. If you feel that you're taking up way too much time with work, then start planning what you want to do outside of work. I know this sounds so simple, but I'm telling you, so many people make this so complex. Planning out your personal life as well as your professional life helps you to shift your energy from work mode to life mode 
and you have a much greater chance of leading a rich and contented life. To wrap up my ramble on the work-life balance mindset, I want to leave you with this piece of, mm, let's call it mind candy. Try not to balance the unbalanceable, but to treat work the same way you do life by maximizing what it is that you love. Look for the activities that bring meaning and joy at work. For me, it's the satisfaction of seeing a client unpacking their big aha moments or hosting a workshop or a webinar, as well as activities that make you enjoy your life. For me, that's spending time with my dogs or being out in the ocean on a dive. These activities contain all the telltale signs of love. Before I do them, I find myself looking forward to them. While I'm doing them, time speeds up and I find myself in flow. And after I've done them, I feel invigorated. We can't always do only what we love, but we can always find the love in what we do. And that's the balance. That's the dance. So yeah, that's it for this episode. If you'd like to keep up with me, check up my upcoming workshops or just want to keep in touch you can like and follow me on facebook and instagram at coachinghappiness.ph or book a telecoaching session at www.coachinghappiness.ph thank you for listening i'll catch you on the next one The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.